Hello and welcome to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay. Today, we have Kirby Farnsworth, a direct primary um, care physician. We've talked about direct primary care many times on this show, and I'm a big believer in it. And he is going to tell you why paying cash for most of your healthcare services you're going to be better off, save money, and you're going to get better service. Um, he himself is a is a uh, cash-only physician that has a membership model. He's going to talk a little bit about that and um, how inexpensive it really can be to have 24-7 access to a doctor. You will not believe it. Um, so prepare to, prepare to have some surprises. He's got some great stories about, um, you know, how he has seen patients save hundreds of thousands of dollars by paying cash for health care. So, Kirby, um, ha- um, go ahead. Welcome to our show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to, to have me tell my story a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of your story, let's just go ahead and start start out about your story because tradition. you have a little bit different story than a lot of doctors. You're a pretty young direct primary care doctor. You didn't graduate that long ago, and I'll let you finish that story. But most of the doctors that um, are in direct primary care are a little bit older because they've been in the system about 20 years. And you have really, you, you came out of medical school with both feet running. So tell us that story, Kirby. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I graduated medical school about seven years ago and finished my residency, uh, I guess, three years after that. So I've only been out of uh, out of this the system or out of practice for out of my residency for about four years, but it really only took me about two weeks to to learn that that the system's kind of broken. Um, it was pretty apparent. I rotated with a couple of family medicine docs, and and their stark comparison. Uh, one was a high-end concierge doc that saw five or six patients a day and was very uh, posh and kind of lived a, a pretty uh, affluent lifestyle and, and was had a lot of time with his patients. And and the other was seeing 30 to 50 patients just turning and struggling through life. Uh, and they were back-to-back on my rotations through my schooling. And so I looked at it and said, wow, I don't want to be that guy who's struggling all the time. But on the same token is – is I wanted to be able to, to offer some type of concierge service basically for the masses, for people who could afford it. And so I, I knew really early on is that, that I wanted to do primary care, wanted to be a family medicine doc, and I learned really early on that the current model is really busted, and, and it wasn't something that I could, could see myself doing for 15, 20, 30, 40 years of my life. And, and so I really jumped into this idea of how can this be different? What are some ways that I can do to, to find solutions in a, a broken system? Uh, as, a, as a heads up, there aren't really any answers other than removing yourself from the system. Uh, the Amen. It's quite broken. And, and so by completely severing my ties to any, any type of insurance product, it really opened my eyes and, and we were able to make a lot of a really good headway with taking care of people at an affordable rate for sure. So speaking of that, you, 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 have a, you have a finance background, um, is that correct? Yeah, I, I love kind of delving into to finance. It's something, I'm a, a numbers nerd, and, and that was something that was also very apparent is 
I wanted to start a business. I knew that I really wanted to, to explore the option of owning a business. I think that's every American's dream in some, in some respect. And so I was trying to make the numbers make sense. And very, very quickly, they didn't. Um, in a, a conventional insurance-based practice, uh, the insurance, you bill a dollar and, and you'd be lucky from a, from a profit standpoint to take home about 25 cents of that because the insurance adjusts for about 65% and the overhead of your office is about another 65%. And so for every dollar that you collect in an insurance-based system, I'd be lucky to take home a quarter. And, and so the answer would be see more people to take home more quarters. And that wasn't the direction I wanted to go. Right, right. Well, that's that's a that's a wonderful story, and I think I, I you know I echo that. Um, you know, it's hard. What what some people don't get in healthcare, which is it's no it it's so different than any other industry, is that you know if you lose money on every transaction, whether it be a prescription you fill or whether it be a patient you see. You can't make it up on volume, and that's kind of what you're saying with, um, with uh, you know, seeing thirty to fifty patients a day. It, it, it you can't make it up on volume. There's, there's, there's got to be a different way. Absolutely, I really found in, in even in residency where, where we have some supervision and some people. I was still churning twenty and twenty five and, and thirty patients a day in my my residency clinic, and and the answer was, well, just be more efficient or just be see more people and, and file more claims in order to catch up with this and. And I, half the time I would barely even know my patient's name and I'm walking in the room and I'd already have all these issues and things they want to talk about. And I'm saying, sorry, I got enough time for one, maybe two questions. And then you got to be quiet so that I can get to the next one. And I was charting all night and waking up early and behind all day. And it's just a constant stress and a constant tax that, that I very quickly wanted to get out of as soon as I could. Janet, don't you have a, uh, um, kind of a little story on a patient going into a doctor and saying they can only be seen oh, for one or two things in a, actu- in a visit? Yeah, actually, yes. Um, I have a friend who was so excited. She um, was able to get on her husband's insurance. And when she went into her appointment, um, they checked all the boxes on the little computer pad. And then she was offered three questions, which, you know, I don't know how that, works in the communication with any patient or even if you're healthy at the moment, how does communication back and forth when you're checking boxes work with understanding and becoming familiar with a provider? I, I, to me that, that that's not a human interaction. Um, And, and really in healthcare, we kind of take an oath that we're going to provide care and help people. And if all we're doing is checking that box, I mean, she was flabbergasted. She's like, I guess if I need any other questions answered, I'm going to have to schedule another appointment and hope I can ask a couple more. Yeah. I think there's a couple of studies that really support that the two things that patients are looking for from a satisfaction standpoint, one is that they don't sit in the waiting room all day. Right. Uh, People have lives. We got careers, things got to do. And two is that you spend time when you're in the exam room. So those two are the biggest, uh, I guess, indicators of, of a satisfied customer or a patient that we can not only get them in efficiently and get them in on time, but actually spend time with them is really what they're looking for from a, a satisfaction standpoint. And we're able to do that in our, our current model with this membership-based practice for sure. That's awesome. I'm so glad you decided that, Kirby. I'm sure there's um, many, many 
patients' lives that you have changed because you made that decision. I, and I love that. I think DPC is is a future of medicine. Um, so you you went a non-traditional route by going to DPC. And I know I, I have a lot of, um, you know, physician, colleague, friends that um, they get out of medical school and they have a lot of debt. And that's one of the barriers. They don't like what they're doing. They don't like seeing th- three, 30 to 50 patients a day. In fact, they dislike it very, very much. Um, but they are so far in debt, they can't go out and do something that is a little more independent like you did. So um, a little bit of a background. Um, Kirby and I met through Dave, Dave Ramsey's Entre Leadership um, program. And, you know, Dave Ramsey, if you guys haven't um, heard of Dave Ramsey, check him out. Uh, he has some great ideas and some great thoughts about debt. So speaking of your medical school debt and Dave Ramsey, how did you approach that? Yeah, I guess uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty open book. Uh, so I had, I went to a private school, uh, medical school in, in Vegas, 375,000 uh, was the big number. And so we, I didn't have any car debt or anything like that. I was really trying to, to balance this Dave Ramsey isms as far as juggling your, my undergrad, I didn't have any debt. I felt pretty good about getting started. Uh, but private medical school, four years plus a three year residency that you can't really pay into accrues a lot of interest. And, and so by the time I got started on things, uh, I had a $375,000 umbrella that was just kind of hanging over me for, for a while. And so I had to balance the the easy or the I wouldn't say easy because it's pretty complicated, but the, the guaranteed contract that that puts you through this mill of torture, or, or uh, go out on your own and explore these other venues and other avenues of, of income and really try to to figure out what we're going to do in the long term. And I talked with my wife and we said, hey, you know, I want you to be happy rather than uh, rather than I guess debt free at the moment and something that's sustainable in the long term. So we jumped in. I graduated residency July of, of 2016. Um, and then literally I, for one month, I, the kids and went to grandma's house and I basically worked like a slave to get enough money and capital to get started. Uh, it was about 30,000 or so that we needed to get started in our office to, to start this animal. And then simultaneously while working this clinic, I was able to find other opportunities, whether it's moonlighting in small emergency rooms or other hospitals on the weekends and nights. And I was working pretty ragged for a good solid six months or so. And and we were able to find enough movement and enough inertia to be able to get this patient, uh, this membership-based practice moving that that I could simultaneously do, handle these loans and get ahead of these loans and, and carve into these loans aggressively and still have a lifestyle for my wife and, a, and our five kids at home. Wow, what an awesome story. So so tell us when you will be out of medical school debt. Uh, 18 months and four days, but who's counting? Yeah, right. And how long have you been out of medical school again? Uh, I've been out of medical school now for seven years, out of residency for four. Uh, and so we'll be, we'll be debt-free, including the house by age 40. So we're pretty excited. That is awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations, Kirby. That's an awesome story. And the reason I want to share this, because I want other healthcare providers to know that they do not have to be stuck in, in a system that they don't like. They can go out and do their own thing. They might have to make some lifestyle choices, but you do not have to have this debt hanging over your head the rest of your life. That's awesome, Kirby. Thanks for sharing that story. 
Short-term pain, long-term benefit. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And just imagine when you're debt-free how liberating that'll be. That's only 18 months away. So you you started out. I'm sure you know you one of your goals was to get members. And you know, tell us a little bit about how you grew your practice and and where it started out and where it is now. So uh, yeah, um, initially I had a, a medical school friend of mine that that we worked together and kind of cross covered so we could have a little bit opportunity to to grow uh, while we were growing members. And and actually very very quickly out of the fir- out of the gate here I live in rural Phoenix uh, kind of suburbia uh, sorry suburbia Phoenix just on the outskirts of town. Um, there's a demand for it. There's a demand. People are interested in in cash paying practices. People are frustrated with the system. Me as a doctor, obviously, I'm frustrated with the system. I see it day in and day out. But even patients are really frustrated with waiting on prior authorizations and all of these other things that are going on. And so we tried to look into, I guess, alternative options to, to help our patients understand that there are better solutions or different solutions for healthcare. And one of the biggest ones was these health sharing ministry plans. I don't know how familiar anybody is that's listening with these, these health share plans, but uh, very, very quickly and early in our system, we got involved in uh, uh, basically being on directories of, of some of these health share plans. And they're essentially, they're not insurance, but they're a, a co-op or a network that helps support financial bills and medical bills. And we got into some of those systems and now probably a third of our practice, uh, maybe even more, probably probably closer to a half of our practice, are members of these health share plans. There's various different types. I mean, there's six or seven different companies that are, that are actually quite good. And that is really probably one of the triggers that helped us grow. I worked in an urgent care at night down the road and, and it was an easy kind of referral source to help us along the way too, to say, Hey, do you have a primary care doc? Well, no. Well, I'm a primary care doc. So do you want to start uh, looking into this as an, as an option for us too? So within about the first three months, we had enough to cover our overhead and to, to kind of get ahead of that rather than putting money into it. And as we grew, we outgrew our britches. My, my partner and I had to open separate offices uh, two years down the road. And since then, we've got over 700 members and, and growing well. I've got a nurse practitioner that works with me. We've got a front office staff. And things are looking really good for us. That's super, super exciting. So um, tell us a little bit about your membership fee. How how did you structure your membership fee? So ours are uh, age-based. Um, what we found is that uh, the, the older people get, sometimes the more medically complicated they become, uh, which is just a function of life more than anything. So our kids up to age 18 are $15 a month uh, from 19 to 54, uh, we charge $65 a month, and then 55 and older, uh, we charge $85 a month. And that includes all visits. Basically, anything we can do inside the four walls of our office is included in the membership. So it's kind of like a combination of Netflix and Costco. Um, Costco <laughs> the membership that you have and the wholesale discounts that are uh, provided. The Netflix is sometimes you need to come in 10 times a year. Sometimes you need to binge watch us. Sometimes you forget you had the account. Uh, so we have this flexibility that we can see you multiple times in a month, multiple times in a week if we need to. And, and also kind of play the law of averages that at some point uh, we're going to help you become healthier so that you may not uh, need those resources as much. Janet, being a, a mother, um, what kind of questions do you have on his membership model and how convenient it, he makes it for kids? Sure. So um, I think maybe 
with kids, you know, the unexpected comes up. So um, I think for listeners, you know, what about that Friday evening or that Saturday evening, you got a child that has all of a sudden an ear infection or um, a fever? Yeah, I mean, that happens uh, sometimes. Uh, the, the great thing about my, maybe my perspective is that of the 700 patients that I have, after hours stuff does happen. I probably get four or five messages throughout the week after hours. And then I usually have to come into the office after hours about once every month. Um, so while that does happen, it doesn't happen all that frequently. And so when it does, I'm willing to do that and willing to meet you in the office. I had a guy playing Thanksgiving football, a little kid that split his chin open. And, and I was here in town, and we were able to stitch it up on a Thanksgiving day, which was fine. It took me 45 minutes of my life, and it saved them a trip to un, who knows where to try to get this taken care of. And it didn't impact my, my day-to-day very much, and it was something I was willing to do uh, in the office for, for just the cost of the, the lidocaine, which ended up being about 10 bucks for the whole, the whole shebang. So, and just um, think that, that about it. Yeah, and think about the time and money you saved him going to either the ER or an urgent care, thousands of dollars. Yeah. So speaking – oh, go ahead. Just briefly, I was going to say a lot of the times uh, mothers need a little bit of uh, reassurance too and say if there is a fever, you know, let's let's try this and this for the night right. and if we need to, we can come and, and check with you in the morning. Or uh, So sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. And for a 10-minute conversation, uh, as long as my cell phone's is on, I think we're willing to do that. We try to create some lines. Don't call me if you stubbed your toe three months ago at two in the morning. <laughs> right. So there's some there's some practicality with that, but right. for those people who are concerned, we want to be available for. Absolutely. So you've got a story you were telling me uh, last week about a kid that had pyelonephritis. Is that correct? Yeah, just uh, just the other day, actually. Yeah. Explain uh, what pyelonephritis is for our for our viewers and what what you did and what their option what their other option would have been if you weren't there. So pyelonephritis uh, essentially is a, a UTI, a urinary tract infection gone bad. So a urinary tract infection that extends up into the kidneys, uh, causing some kidney damage or some kidney injury. And so most of the time, if you have a, a pyelonephritis or some type of that, that type of an illness, and you go to an emergency room, usually you'd get some IV fluids, you'd get some antibiotics, and, and they'd likely keep you in the hospital for a day, sometimes two, uh, to make sure that your kidney function is improving, to make sure that it still doesn't hurt when you go to the bathroom, to make sure that you're not vomiting or any other of those signs. So the ER stay by itself is about 2500 bucks or so. And then a hospital stay on top of that can run you up, upwards of seven $7,000 or so. And so the combination, we're looking about a $10,000 package deal for somebody who comes down with, uh, with, with a pyelonephritis. And, and we're able to do things in our office that aren't as conventional in an insurance-based practice where we do actually hang IV fluids in our office. We can give antibiotics, uh, the same antibiotics that they would be giving in, in an emergency room or even in a hospital. And we can draw blood and, and order those next day results. So we were able to, to help this lady, this girl come in, get treated for consecutive days. We saw her every day, every morning and gave her some IV fluids and gave her these antibiotics. And the total cost of her bill was, 112 bucks wow. uh, for her treatment for the entire, like out the door A to Z. 
and, and so when you start thinking about how much does this cost versus how much am I being charged, I think those numbers are, we're in algorithmically different numbers. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and it's really, really eye-opening for a lot of our patients to say, hey, that, that was, that's it? Right. Um, but I also think, too, if you think about for the family and the patient, wouldn't you rather come in and have an IV and then go home versus at the setting of a hospital? Because that is disruptive to your life, too. And, you know, there's there's consequences to being in a hospital. You can be opened up to an infection. Um, you know, somebody might have to take time off from work. I mean, there's there's other things that aren't even in that equation that you can't even add to the monetary side of it. Yeah, there's sick people in a hospital. Right. Uh, we want to stay away from the sick people if we can. So uh, there's same stories go on and on. I mean, there's kids with fractures. About a, about 70% of acute fractures really don't need surgery, especially in kids. And so a simple cast that we apply in our office for $15 to, to $30, depending on the number of fiberglass rolls that we need, with a, a cash rate x-ray that we have contracted with some local companies in our, in our community, for $40, I can get seven days a week an x-ray for 40 bucks and manage an acute fracture that otherwise would be in the emergency room and down an orthopedic specialty office and, and on the way down uh, uh, a good solid $2,500, $3,000 workup that we can comfortably take care of for less than 100 bucks. Okay, so wait a minute. Let me get this clear, Kirby. Um, my son just broke his leg. It was a compound fracture, so probably something you couldn't take over in your office because he did need surgery. His x-ray was $424. You're telling me you can get an x-ray for $40? 40 bucks, and uh, with the radiologist read on top of it, and, and we can order stat x-rays. There's even, uh, like I said, after weekend hours too, there's a bridge weekend hours. So even if it was a, a Saturday morning soccer game uh, we could be able to to get some answers that day rather than having to sit on a on a break for two or three days wow this just needs to be exposed i mean people are they're, they're just so used to thinking healthcare is expensive um and really until i started until janet and i started engaging in this and educating ourselves we didn't know much different and working with practitioners like yourself we've been educated that you know it doesn't have to be expensive my son's 424 dollar x-ray didn't include the 50 dollar x-ray reading or the yeah the radiologist reading it that there was another fee on top of that so 40 bucks is one tenth under one tenth what we were charged at a local hospital. So definitely something that needs to be exposed because that's just got to stop. Those things have to really stop because here's what people don't believe, don't understand either is that nobody really pays that price because there's a negotiated price with an insurance company and they will, they will, they won't pay that price. So why should a cash paying person pay that price? Yeah, that's a, a big uh, kind of conflict that a lot of people are, are having is that you have this big fat bill, but you're only paying a portion of it. Well, where is, how is the insurance negotiating these rates or what are these companies doing to either artificially inflate rates so they can say, Hey, I'm going to charge $300 more, but I'll give you a $270 discount. So it looks like I'm giving you a discount when in, in fact, we just need to know what the actual cost of the supply of the facility of the procedure of the, whatever it is, we just need to know what that costs. And, and transparency is tough. You think about it, you go to the mechanic and say, hey, I'm going to want my oil change. Well, that's going to depend on an, a prior authorization and could range from 25 bucks to 450 bucks, depending on what 
It doesn't make sense. No, right, right. It's it, it doesn't. It's the only industry like that. And um, that's one of the things that our goal is on this podcast is just to educate and empower consumers that they are in charge of their own health care, and that includes their health care pricing. Um, and, and insurance isn't always the best option. I'll, I'll let you tell a story a little bit later about that. So speaking of kids, what all can you do for kids for, for your very low monthly affordable fee? What all do you do for, for kids? You have a, a pretty high pediatric po- um, population, correct? Yeah. So of, of the 700 plus members that we're, we're managing, I would say a third of those are probably kids under 18. So we see lots and lots of kids, lots of uh, families. And that's a little unique for my from my family medicine background, usually family medicine equates to like geriatrics and, and that's kind of the nature of what it runs into for whatever reason, maybe it's, a uh, uh, the demographics a little bit, but we do see quite a few kids and we're able to see things for like ear infections, routine, annual well checks. We do sports physicals all the time. Uh, we even do vaccines for people who are uninsured or underinsured. Uh, through the Vaccines for Children program. Mm-hmm. So administering shots. Uh, I've got a couple of, of premature twins that are here uh, that I'm following that are about four months old now. So even the the young ones from a, like a tongue tie, having trouble breastfeeding, we do those in the office all the time, toenail removals, uh, scouts physicals, going to scout camps, and people on church missions needing some clearance for that, getting ready for college, uh, getting all their shots updated, all the people doing their nursing programs that need their TB testing and their skin reads, uh, the local school down the road, the the college that that comes in all the time for their their PPD, their TB testing, and and their titers for their blood tests. Uh, that's just a little taste of of some of the things that we're able to do for these kids to to watch them from their early early age and the immunizations that they need through their growth phase and up into their uh, kind of transitioning to adulthood uh, phase too. So it's a lot of fun to see them grow and and grow with them. So speaking of college, you. Uh... You have a special discount for um, college kids. I know we talk about, you know, when they get to be that age and college being expensive and healthcare is so expensive, how are they going to afford health care? Tell me what your price is for a college kid. Yeah, so anybody that's enrolled in their education trying to, to further their knowledge and get things rolling, uh, we have a, a – basically, if you're, while you're enrolled in school, we'll knock off half of the adult rate. So it's a thirty two fifty a month while you're in school. And, and that's something that I think we've tried to – understand I was in college not too long ago and and I realized that that some of these astronomical premiums are are totally unaffordable and and so we're trying to be a resource and something that people can lean on that's not going to break the bank and at 32 bucks a month maybe that's a cup of coffee a day or something like that maybe even less than that uh, so we try to be able to uh, meet them somewhere in the middle to help them along their education road too. Yeah, that's so affordable, and thank you for doing that. Um, what if they're across the country and you know they're in a different state than you, and they need something? You know, they need your services. How do you deal with that? Uh, I mean, the great part there's hasn't been a whole lot of great that's come out of the the COVID world. Uh, but one of the things that did come out was this opportunity for telecommunications, telemedicine world. And we've actually been doing it for about five years now uh, in, in our practices. Um, but one thing that, that's very powerful is that we're able to help care for those. Now, clearly, I'm not going to be able to, to stitch somebody up who's living in New York when I live in Phoenix. Uh, but for the most part, we're able to continue either long-term medications or, or be a resource, a springboard to help them know if they do need to go to a, an urgent care and emergency room or kind of help them along the way. So we do have telemedicine options, televideo conferencing. And we can prescribe medications 
to for short term, uh, even across state lines, uh, as the state allows us to. Uh, so what I'm going to let Janet ask you this question, Janet, um, you have a question for, um, Kirby. So, um, what about, um, patients that, um, just need catastrophic coverage? Um, you know, we do that with our automobile industry all the time when we need coverage for our cars and, you know, what, what are your thoughts and direction with that? Just about insurance in general and how it, it compares to auto insurance with, you know, um, catastrophic coverage and things like that. What, what the history of insurance? I know you and I discussed that a little bit already. Yeah. So if you think about insurance in general as a concept or as an idea, insurance really is a, a risk mitigation tool, right? So we have insurance to reduce risk of a high likelihood or a high complicated event. So we have car insurance uh, so that if we get in an accident, then we have some protection for that high cost event. Uh, we don't have car insurance to get our oil changed. It's a routine maintenance thing. We don't have car insurance to get gas in our car. We don't have homeowners insurance to do our dishes or, or vacuum our floors or mow our lawns. If we did, that rate would be gigantic, right? right. We want to have our homes would be insured so that the vacuum, so that people could vacuum our car. Or it doesn't make any sense. And I think the parallels between homeowners insurance and car insurance could very easily be applied to health insurance is the cost for me, for example, for an ear infection, we talked about that a little bit earlier, the medication that we use, it costs about $2.10 and the little plastic speculum is less than a half a cent. And so for me to actually diagnose and treat it, uh, something like an ear infection literally costs me $2.50. And so why are we insuring a low risk, low cost event? We need to have some type of coverage for the, the horrible heart attack, the open heart surgery, the cancer causing, whatever this, right. there, there's a point where insurance is needed, but 40 plus years ago when Medicare kind of kicked in and, and there was this insurance idea, the, the insurance company slowly started grabbing more and more preventative care and more and more routine care so now we're being insured for a flu shot. Well, the flu shot costs 18 bucks. Why would you insure an $18 right. event? Right. And that's right. why our premiums are so high. We need to sort of reevaluate what we're really insuring and, and pay cash for the rest. I think that's the idea. Right. So, Janet, we talked about health stream ministries a little earlier. We didn't mention any specifics. Can you um, tell our listeners and viewers what we use and what programs we have what different levels we use and what we, what is covered and what's not covered? Well, one of the things that Sean and I found important when we were looking at the ministries or the health sharing is we're at a point where we're not going to have any more children. So um, I don't choose to want to cover that service. And so there are options out there available for that. And I think that kind of falls close to what Kirby is saying is that, you know, there's a point where we decide – what makes sense to an individual is what type of coverage and a lot of different programs out there now. When we first started, I think there was only a few um, health sharing programs, but insurance right now, at least in the state we live in, you know, the umbrella is covering almost everything. And so if it's not something that you are going to be using, your insurance is still covering that. And so um, with 
our uh, policy that we have through uh, Christian ministry, we have chosen a different level of coverage. And, and I think each um, ministry out there has different um, things available now. And I think there's yeah. even some that don't even require a, a statement of faith, um, which is to me um, awesome because the whole concept of sharing means that if something happens, we're all in it together. Where I'll, while you are paying a fee into an insurance company, it doesn't matter. It's all, you know, everything's going back to that insurance company. Well, and we've chose Christian healthcare ministries. We've had Samaritan ministries before. Samaritan ministries at the time, they didn't offer a program where the you could opt out of maternity coverage. Right. So our quote-unquote premiums, even though it's not a premium because it's not insurance, um, was just getting high. And we were we would switch over to um, Christian health care, and we were able to pay $135 a month for our entire family. Now, remember, no maternity coverage, but we didn't have doctor coverage because we knew doctors like you out there. We didn't need doctor coverage because doctors aren't expensive. We didn't have prescription coverage. We're pharmacists, but also... Even though, even if we weren't pharmacists, um, generic drugs, as you know, um, Dr. Farnsworth, are very, very inexpensive, and most diseases can be treated for less than a dollar a day. That's just the truth. Um, so we didn't need that doctor. So we had major, major hospital type coverage, and we were responsible for the first five thousand dollars. So um, that's what we chose, and it's nice that we have options. There's many options out there like that, and I, I love the health sharing ministries. I don't trust insurance companies. In this state, we only have two of them anyway that we can choose from, so there, there's not a lot of options. But we save over $15,000 a year in premiums because we chose health, um, Christian health care, and we get to decide what doctor we go to um, instead of an insurance company. you have any um, thoughts on yeah. that? I think, and even with that, you do feel like you have some coverage, uh, some right. assistance. If something were to happen, that there is a, an outlet that you could kind of lean on just in case. It's not like you're just going absolutely cowboy and not having any coverage. Right. Although there are plenty of people like that. I would say 10% of my patients here, just they have nothing. And this is the only thing that they have. And so I found that, that very similarly, I, I also use the, the Christian Health Ministry Plan. There are lots of other plans that I've had very good success with. Uh, some not not so much, but but lots of plans that I've I've worked really really well with, and that our patients have had great results with. And as I start to become more familiar with their plans, we're able to help coordinate their care so much better with these companies uh, to to help manage some of these catastrophic events that that sometimes do happen. So speaking of catastrophic event um, and Christian healthcare ministries, you had a patient that went into acute renal failure and had Christian healthcare, correct? Yeah, it's probably about a year and a half ago, uh, uh, a gentleman that I love dearly, um, uh, that we, we couldn't get enough details out of him that he was taking some some ibuprofen, some over-the-counter NSAIDs and naproxen and those type of things for some back pain. And he didn't, he failed to mention that that was a medicine that he regularly took because it wasn't a prescription. Right. And so he'd been taking that for the better part of a year and then started to not feel well and and it turns out that medicine really ate up his kidneys and caused some significant damage. And he had to go to the emergency room. He was in acute renal failure, spent two days in the, three days in the ICU, had to get uh, even uh, hemodialysis, which is where they remove all the toxins out of your, out of your system, especially in his kidneys because they were breaking, shutting down. And he had the workup. He had every specialist on board, everybody in the, under, the, under the sun. 
and he stayed there for about seven days and and his load was pretty steep by the end of his uh his bill i guess he was very open with me about it as we were working together um he had a, uh, upwards of three hundred thousand dollars on his his bill through the the hospital that he was working at that he that he was a patient at the hospital uh, thankfully was able to, to renegotiate or, or said hey if you want to pay uh, this money up front, this amount, it was about 75,000. Then, then we'll go ahead and meet you there. And so then he submitted that claim to Chris Milton ministries and, and they wrote a check about 60 days within 60 days later. And, and he was out the door on his way to recovery. So it was a pretty powerful story with having a, well, two parts it was one, having a catastrophic plan in place and two, having us kind of guide him through that process. I was able to go visit him a couple of times in the hospital as, as he was there and really kind of coordinate adequate follow-up. So I saw him the next day when he got discharged, and three days after we had a sequence of labs that the, the kidney doctor wanted that we had in place for pennies on the dollar in, in our lab services that we offer, and he was able to get back on track, and now he's uh, as, as happy and honoring as he used to be. Well, and another good thing of that is it just shows, I wanted you to share that story because it shows that these health-sharing ministries, these health-sharing programs, they work. When somebody has a catastrophic thing go on, it works. And you know what? Thank you, Bander, Banner Thunderbird Hospital. Banner Thunderbird Hospital, thank you for doing this. You did the right thing. You wrote off $225,000 of this guy's bill. It went from 300000 to two. It went from 300000 to 75000 and then Christian Healthcare um, paid that bill. Now, why did you write that money off? Um, I'm, I'm making, I'm, I'm just uh, um, making suggestions here probably, is that the bill shouldn't have been 300000 in the first place. Nobody pays that amount. Nobody pays the 300000 No insurance company pays the 300000 So it wasn't like the hospital lost money. The bill should have been 75000 in the first place. That's the whole point. And that's our point with transparency in, in, in healthcare pricing is we need to get the word out. When somebody that's uninsured gets a crazy bill like this, they need to make negotiations with the hospital. Do you have, do you have um, thoughts on that, Kirby? Yeah, I think uh, if I were to maybe plug for uh, individual patient care, uh, the first 10 things I would do is ask a bunch of questions. And not only financially, but I would ask, is this medication necessary? Uh, for example, uh, it's very clear that, that a medication like Tylenol, something that's very, very common, you can get it at the dollar store. Uh, when it's billed and, and given in a hospital setting, has to go through a pharmacy, has to go by a pharmacist, acknowledged by a nurse and then administered by that nurse into a system. And that process, you can expect a, a cost of a regular Joe Blow Tylenol to be something like uh, 40 bucks uh, or, or thereabouts. And so asking those type of questions, is this necessary? Uh, what is the cost of this? Can I take my own? Uh, sometimes your home medications are, are very, very cost efficient as far as saving stuff like that. And then also at the back end is saying, hey, if I paid this off in full, can you give me a discount? Uh, this is something that I've found personally in my life. I've got a, a newborn that, well, he's now, I guess he's two and a half, three. Don't tell my wife. I think he's three. <laughs> <laughs> he's just growing past. <laughs> three. Uh, when I finished my residency training, we were having some of these, these COBRA plans that were offering some discounts for us saying, hey, you need some type of coverage. And our rates, I've got five kids at home, so there's seven of us. 2,700 bucks a month. My wife was six months pregnant and I'm going, what am I going to do? Do I pay the 2,600 bucks a month because I know she's pregnant? I can't get some of these health sharing plans are, are good, but they're not going to, 
pay for your pregnancy two days after signing up for the plan. Right. Uh, there are some pre-existing conditions, and pregnancy is one of those. So I needed to find out how I was going to get this taken care of. And so when we moved to Arizona, I called four or five different hospitals, and I said, hey, what, what can you do? Uh, my wife's six months pregnant. I plan on having a, a baby. Uh, what does the cash price look and look like? And ultimately, they were pretty uh, open. They were pretty transparent. They said, if you pay in full by the time you leave, we can, we can have your baby in our hospital with our facilities and our services for, for between $2,500 and $2,700. I think we paid $2,600, um, which blew my mind because three years before that, we had a kid, and we had our insurance plan that, that was supposed to be the Cadillac of all insurances back in, in Texas where I did my residency training, and we had the, the kid with the, the best insurance product out there and my out-of-pocket costs for him just to, to have the child was actually $3,800. Uh, so it cost me more with insurance to have a baby than it did without uh, three years later, uh, which, which totally blew my mind. And, and it really helped me kind of solidify my uh, passion of, of price transparency and, and really trying to get people aware of, of this discrepancy for sure. Okay, so let me clear this up for the viewers, Kirby. Your out-of-pocket costs for having your last baby was less than it was if, when you paid cash and paid cash in full. It was less when you did that than your out-of-pocket cost was when you had insurance um, for your baby before that. Uh, yeah, by, by about 1000 bucks. So you saved $1,000 plus all your premiums and stuff um, by paying cash. Um, see, people don't realize that. I mean, that, that's, that is, in my opinion, I'm just going to say this, insurance is a ripoff. The health insurance thing is a ripoff. And I would suggest most patients, um, for most things, um, tell them you're paying cash before you, before you even um, tell them you have insurance. And especially if you have the opportunity to shop around. There's a lot of surgery centers across the nation. We talk about the Surgery Center of Oklahoma all the time. If you're having electric surgery, call the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. You will, yes, you will pay cash there, but you will probably pay less than you do um, for uh, the procedure through your insurance. The other thing is you could probably cost compare those. I think from our imaging centers that we have, there's two big companies that, that kind of manage the Phoenix area. And we'll say, hey, I have a, an X, uh, a CAT scan, for example, that I'm getting quoted at $275. Can you price match that or beat it in the other company? And sure enough, I have CT scans. I can get a CT of your head or CT of your abdomen for 200 bucks cash. Uh, MRIs are $250. Uh, so we can really streamline that world and actually drive costs down rather than trying to build costs up. That's how the free market works, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and $250 for an MRI. Did you say that correctly? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I just uh, ordered two of them last week. $250 for an MRI. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow, and, and that's typically in a hospital, a $3,000 bill. Yeah, I, I've seen uh, 2400 I've seen a, a patient bring an itemized bill for 2400 for the same MRI that I get for 250 bucks. Wow, wow. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing. Jan, do you have more questions for Kirby? You know, just um, off the top of my head, um, I'm, I'm from your personal um, contacts with other providers, what kind of pushback do you get or, or are you able to bring more people into what you're doing? Because to me, I think, um, 
if we're going to make a difference and get this transparency and, and get healthcare back to, to where we need it to be, we're going to have to take it from the providers as well as the patient side. Yeah, I think uh, education is a big part of my practice model. Um, I have medical students uh, basically every day that come in and, and sort of see how I'm doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've helped probably seven or eight clinics here in the greater Phoenix area open. Um, I communicate awesome. with docs all the time to try to help them make that leap. Uh, again, we have to be transparent. If we're expecting transparency, I think in some respects, me as a, as a doc, I have to be transparent with other doctors right. in talking about numbers and math and how yep. this thing works and, and saying, hey, how big of a risk is this or what type of things did you do? So well, I'm trying to be as transparent as I can. Uh, we're actively uh, kind of recruiting residents and people to rotate with us to understand how this, this system works and really trying to help everybody take that leap. Most people think of it as this huge Grand Canyon of a, of a jump, but after you kind of go out onto that ledge a little bit, you realize that it's not, one, it's, it's freeing, it's liberating, right. and two, it's not nearly as big of a jump as, as we initially thought, and your patients love you for it, and you end up loving yourself a lot more for it too. So we have a question from a Facebook viewer. Um, what, um, and we can name names on these. What is the best um, health sharing ministries you've had luck with? Um, I could. I spoke to Christian Health Ministries and Samaritan, and we've used both of them. Do you have you? Do you have some other ones that you've had some good luck yeah, with? Yeah, I think both of those have been very, very uh, receptive to us. I've spoken with both of their the reverends that that kind of conduct the business uh, from the higher ups, the executive course up there. Uh, they've both been fantastic to work with. Altrua HealthShares is another company that we've had really good uh, results with. There's a newer company on the, the, I guess, west side of the country called Zion Health that have been extremely responsive. Uh, there's Sidera is a HealthShare plan that's a non-faith-based, uh, like a non, uh, yeah, I guess, non-denominational or a non-faith-based program that have had great success with as well. Uh, so there are quite a few programs that are out there. Um, there's there's lots of different resources to find, and they seem to be growing very, very quickly. They're one of the biggest growing healthcare markets in the industry, uh, trying to offer these solutions for, for what's clearly a, a broken system. Well, I think that's what's exciting about it, and I think that um, is a telltale sign that they're only going to keep growing and that there's a lot of people that are disenfranchised with the current system. Another Another example of that is the growth in direct primary care. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, there were very few doctors that were cash only. um, And they were a lot of times called crazy. And now direct primary care is, you can find it in almost any small community now, small and big community. And I think it's just an example that, um, one of the examples of patients being you know, disenfranchised with the current system. They're, they're tired of the long wait times. They're tired of the high prices. They're tired of the horrible service because that's what we get traditionally in a lot of healthcare, traditional healthcare entities. Yeah, I think so. Uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Phil Eskew, has put together a website, dpcfrontier.com. And on that, there's a map across the country that has all of the direct primary care uh, uh, clinics that are available. Um, there's about 1,600 of them now. And so if that's something that anybody's interested in trying to find more about a, a DPC doc near you, uh, there's a map with about 1,600 of them across the country, and they're growing every day. Uh, something to check out. Thank you for that uh, um, information. So in the last two minutes that we have, 
Um, Kirby, what are the what are the parting words that you would like to um, leave our our viewers and listeners? Yeah, I think the the take home for me really is that that me as a doc, I'm I'm trying to to help you feel better, to help you get better, to help you want to be better. And sometimes there are obstacles in the way, and we're just doing our best to try to remove those obstacles. And the biggest obstacles we see are time, uh, are costs. And, and unfortunately, right now, we're seeing the insurance obstacles that are facing us. And so by removing ourselves from that piece, we're able to give you more time and be more transparent with your expectations and, and also save you uh, substantial amounts of, of money. So when you're out there trying to find what to do, to do next, the idea is prevent disease rather than wait till it happens. So don't wait till you're sick. Don't wait till you're super ill to, to come in and be evaluated, but really prevent. Focus on prevention because that's going to be your longest term benefit. So find people that are like-minded, find doctors that want to help prevent disease rather than bill you every time you come in and wait till you get super sick. Find those people that are, that you're interested in that speak your same language that you can uh, work together as a team to, to help prevent any, any further complications down the road. It's all well, about prevention. Absolutely. And I wrote a book about just that. Um, the book is called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And in Chapter 6, one of the things I discuss is it's a quote from me in the opening chapter or the opening of Chapter 6, and it says, The best health insurance we have is how we take care of ourselves. It's not some policy that we can buy. I mean, far and away, the best health insurance we have is how we take care of ourselves, not some policy. So my book is available on Amazon, Kindle form. It's called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. Um, download it today. And as always, uh, we appreciate you having on our, our guest Kirby on today. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. And stay tuned Thursday where we talk about men's sexual health. Thanks for being on, Kirby. Thank you. We're not, we're not live. We're not.